0: Hello and welcome to Broad's You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm your host Sarah Gorski, and I am here again with Miss Lisa Callahan. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Lisa was here with us last week. She shared the story of incredible Broad Jean Neidich, who founded Weight Watchers. Um, that was a cool episode and an interesting look into, you know, something I didn't know as much about as I thought I did. <laughs>
1: We're good. I'm glad.
0: (laughs) But Lisa's back again, and I have brought us abroad that I'm super excited to talk about. She's been on my to-do list for a very long time, and her story is really cool. Have you ever heard of Catherine Switzer? No, I don't think so. Holy shit. Her story is really – it's one of those, like, short stories where the, the the big thing she did is, like, this huge story, and it's probably, like, a photo that you've seen circulating in, like, women's rights circles, but you maybe don't know mm-hmm. the whole story behind it. And same with you listeners. This also obviously applies to you. I don't want to give away the lead, so I'm going to just jump right in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine Switzer was born January 5th, 1947 in Amberg, Germany. Um, and she was born in Germany because she's the daughter of a major in the army. So she was a military, a military kid. And her family came back to the U.S. in 49. And I think they settled in Virginia, it sounds like. And she graduated from... George Marshall High School in Fairfax County, Virginia, and she starts college, and she goes to Lynchburg College, and she transfers to Syracuse University in 1967, um, and she was studying journalism and English literature. Eventually, she would go on to earn her bachelor's and master's degree there, but what she is most famous for, and I totally glossed over all the details of her childhood because I want to get to like the big story. <laughs> The the thing that she's most famous for happens before she even graduates. So this is all at Syracuse University. So after she transferred to Syracuse, Catherine really wanted to join the cross-country running team, but there wasn't a girls' team. It was like an only boys' team. So she had to ask special permission, and her permission was, quote, granted by the powers that be. And she begins training, running, with cross-country assistant coach Arnie Briggs, and she is good. She's a good runner, right? Uh, So she's still alive today. And she's got a website. And I pulled a bunch of quotes directly from her website. And I think I'm just going to read them because I feel like she tells it better than anyone. And also, I feel like she fucks up the story less than everybody (laughs) because it's her story. In fact, she has something at the top of her site that says, you know, a lot of people have talked about this and they say a lot of things about this event. But please, if you're going to talk about this, please refer to my version of it. And I just love that because people don't acknowledge, too, how messed up some like articles and memefies and things. I'll I'll get things wrong. So this is um, directly from Catherine. She says, on a dark six-mile run in a wild snowstorm in mid-December 1966, I had a terrible argument with my otherwise kindly old coach, Arnie Briggs. It was in Syracuse, New York, where God first invented snow and never let up. I was a 19-year-old journalism student at Syracuse University, and since there was no running team there or anywhere else for that matter, I began training unofficially with the men's cross-country team, and that's where I met 50-year-old Arnie. Arnie was actually the university mailman and a veteran of 15 Boston marathons. He was excited to see a woman, the first, come out to run, and took slowpoke me under his training wing. To cajole me through tough evening sessions like this, Arnie told and retold stories of the famous Bostons, and I love listening to them, until this night, when I snapped and said, oh, let's quit talking about the Boston Marathon and run the damn thing. No woman can run the Boston Marathon, Arnie fired back. Why not? I'm running 10 miles a night. Arnie insisted the distance was too long for a fragile woman to run. And I exploded when I said that Roberta Gibb had jumped into the race and finished it the previous April. Um, Now I want to pause her quote for a second and give some reference to that. So the year before this, so no one that this is correct to this point, right? No woman Mm -hmm. had ever officially run the Chicago Marathon the year before this. Boston Marathon. The Boston Marathon. (laughs) yes. Um, This woman, Roberta Gibb, had jumped into the race without an official bib. Like that's how you you know you register and you're given a number and a bib and you wear that and that's how they track you through the race. And that's how they track the registrations, et cetera, et cetera. So, so this, this woman, Roberta Gibb, jumped into the race without a bib and did the whole race, but kind of like didn't get official credit for it because she wasn't registered. And everybody was very outraged that she had even done this. It was like a huge thing. And this was the year before. So back to her quote. Arnie says, no dame ever ran the Boston Marathon, he shouted, as skidding motorists nearly killed us. And then he added, if any woman could do it, you could, but you would have to prove it to me. If you ran the distance in practice, I'd be the first to take you to Boston. I grinned through the gloom and flakes. Hot damn, I thought. I have a coach, a training partner, a plan, and a goal. The biggest race in the world. Boston. So that's like the origin story of what's about to happen next. So Catherine trains and she proves to Arnie that she can run the distance, that a fret the quote, a fragile woman can can mm. actually run the distance. <laughs> and that's really what they thought. Like legit mm-hmm. Like the the articles of the time all say, Well, a woman physiologically can't do it. She's too weak. Oh like, god. I don't know where the fuck they even Oh my thought, god. Like what there was no science to back that. That was just like the patriarchy being the patriarchy. Yep. But that, you know, that was the facts back then in 66 and 67. So she starts training with Arnie, and they in their final run, usually the final run, you do like the 20. Yeah, miles. you do 20
1: miles. You never run a full marathon. Right, you
0: never run the full one. And then in the final training run, she like wanted to run an extra 5 to make sure she could do it. So they end up doing like a 31-mile run, and oh she God. did and she was like feeling great and her and Arnie at like thir, at 31 miles, Arnie was like half dead and like almost couldn't make it. <laughs> and so at the end of that final training run, the next day she said Arnie came up to my dorm and insisted I sign up for the race. He said it was wrong to run without registering. And besides, I could get in serious trouble with the Amateur Athletic Union, our sport's strict governing body. We checked the rule book and entry form. There was nothing about gender in the marathon. I filled in my AAU number, plunked down the $3 cash as entry fee, and signed up as I always sign my name. KV Switzer and went to the university infirmary to get a fitness certificate. And then back then, so so now when you register for the Boston, you can only register if you have a, a running time of like under three 3.30 or something like that. You have yeah. to be a very fast runner to be able to run the Boston because it's like one of the more elite races in the world, I think. Yeah. Certainly yeah. in the US, but I think in the world. So she registers and she said she always signed her name KV Switzer, by the way. That's, that's like the clarification point when she tells it herself is that people say she was trying to dupe people and she she was she's like, no, because she spells her name without an E. Um, Catherine, K-A-T-H-R-I-N-E instead of T-H-A-R. So mm. I think she always just wrote K-B Switzer because people always spelled Catherine wrong and it made her crazy. Right. Yeah. So um, Arnie gets the travel permits and mails their entries um, and he, he enters with her because um, he's uh, he's run it already. So he's going to run it again. And then um, her boyfriend ends up registering. He was a, apparently an ex-All-American football player and a nationally ranked hammer thrower. His name was Big Tom Miller. Hmm. And then they had another friend, uh, Tom, uh, John Leonard was his name. Um, and so the four of them registered together and they're like, we're just going to go as a team. Like, Huzzah, let's just do this. And they <laughs> get this group together to go. And the Boston Marathon that year was in 1967. It was on a Wednesday, which is also Patriots Day.
1: Yep. But it's it, always run on Patriots Day.
0: I didn't even know that was a holiday, but that's a Boston holiday, I guess. Yep. Uh, which is so, so interesting. <laughs> so they arrive in Boston the day early and Arnie kind of drives them around to see the course and all these big, there's all these like really famous landmarks. There's like Heartbreak Hill and all this all these things that runners all know what they are, and Lisa, you're not a runner, are you?
1: I was. That's why I I knew exactly who this was as soon as you started talking about her. So I'm <laughs> so excited.
0: Oh, good. Yeah, it's a cool story. Yes, it's a very Boston Marathon, one of the most famous races. So, and Arnie's done it all these times. He always talks about it, right? So he he drives her around. They they look at the course, and then the Boston Marathon doesn't start till noon the next day. So they got to kind of sleep in and eat a bunch of carbs. Um, which is what runners always do right before the marathon. Um, the weather was shit. It was really cold and it was snowy and wet and disgusting and they they go to pick up the bibs and arnie goes to pick up Catherine's bib because they 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 know that you know a woman at the registration table wouldn't be good in quote marks for the for the men at the table and so arnie goes and gets the envelopes and brings back her bib and they pin their bibs on she was bib number 261 um and there were 741 people on the program so 741 people were going to be running it And she pins her bib on her sweatshirt and she's got her gloves on. And apparently she put her lipstick on. She always wears lipstick. So she didn't even like truly try to like hide who she was. She just wanted to run the race, right? She wasn't trying to do anything crazy. She just wanted to run the fucking Boston marathon as they're like getting ready for the race most people are like extremely focused and not paying attention to her because everybody's kind of in their own like pre-marathon running zone. But a couple guys like notice her and they came over all excited and they're like, hey, are you going to run the whole way? Oh, it's so great to see a girl here. And then apparently some guys were even asking her like, hey, do you have any tips to help get my wife to run? I, you know, she'd love to get started, but doesn't really know how. And like, so, Aww. so there's like a, like a general kind of like good vibe from the people around her. And she said she felt um, she said, quote, indeed, I felt very welcome. I felt special and, I, and proud of myself. I knew something other women didn't know, and I felt downright smug. <laughs> and as we dug over to the start, Tom said, God, you're wearing lipstick? I always wear lipstick. What's wrong with that? Somebody might see you're a girl and not let you run. Take it off. I will not take off my lipstick. Love <laughs> and it. that's like how they get to the starting line. And so they kick off, and for the most part, it's like, it's pretty much as she expected. She's done all these training runs, right? So she knows what this distance is and they're all running and they're running in a group and they all stuck together. Unlike some people you'll train with, you won't necessarily run alongside. But I think for this particular race, they had all kind of planned to stick the pace together um, as a group, especially because they knew that what Catherine was doing could have, could be seen as controversial. And so the gun goes off and and they go After she said, quote, after months of training with Arnie and dreaming about this, here we were streaming alongside the village common and onto the downhill of Route 135 with hundreds of our most intimate companions, all unknown, but all of whom understood what this meant and had worked hard to get here. More than ever before at a running event, I felt at home. Hmm. She, she says that the first few miles are always fun. The noise is exciting. And you know later it's going to suck. So you just kind of have fun <laughs> at the beginning. And they're all running. And everybody's feeling great, really. Uh, and she even says Arnie pranced. It was nice to see. <laughs> um, and then she says at about mile four, there's this honking and someone shouts, get over runners, move to your right. And there's, and there's this big flatbread bed truck that kind of comes down the, the side of the road. And it was a press photo truck mm-hmm. and there were some risers on the back. So like they had cameramen set up so they could get all these shots of the runners. Uh, I'll just read her quote, quote, suddenly the truck slowed to be right in front of us. And the photographers were taking our pictures. In fact, they were getting pretty excited to see a woman in the race a woman wearing numbers. I could see them fumbling to look up my number and name and then shoot again. We all started to laugh and wave. It was our hi mom on the nightly news moment and it was fun. A man with an overcoat and felt hat was then in the middle of the road, shaking his finger at me. He said something to me as I passed and reached out for my hand, catching my glove instead and pulling it off. I did kind of a stutter step. We all had to jostle around him. I thought he was a nutty spectator, but when I passed, I caught a glimpse of a blue and gold BAA ribbon on his lapel. Where had he come from? Moments later, I heard the scraping noise of leather shoes coming up fast behind me and an alien and alarming sound. Oh, it was an uh, alien and alarming sound amidst the muted thump, thump, thump of the rubber soled running shoes. When a runner hears that kind of noise, it's usually danger, like hearing a dog's paws on the pavement. Instinctively, I jerked my head around quickly and looked square into the most vicious face I'd ever seen. A big, huge man with bared teeth was set to pounce, and before I could react, he grabbed my shoulder and flung me back, screaming, get the hell out of my race and give me those numbers. And then he swiped down my front, trying to rip off my bib number, just as I leapt backward from him. He missed the numbers, but I was so surprised and frightened that I slightly wet my pants and turned to run. But now the man had the back of my shirt and was swiping at the bib number on my back. I was making little cries of, ah, not thinking at all, just trying to get away when I saw a tiny, brave Arnie bat at him and try to push him away, shouting, Leave her alone, Jock. I've trained her. She's okay. Leave her alone. And the man screamed, Stay out of this, Arnie, and swatted him away like a gnat. This guy turns out to be the race director. Mm. So he he's actually the man who, like, was coordinating the whole Boston Marathon. Obviously, at one point he had run it, but he's, like, the big coordinator of it. And Arnie actually knows him. So... And Catherine says, quote, the bottom was dropping out of my stomach. I had never felt such embarrassment and fear. I'd never been manhandled, never even spanked as a child. And the physical power and swiftness of the attack stunned me. I felt unable to flee like I was rooted there. And indeed I was because this man, this jock guy, had me by the shirt. Then a flash of orange flew past and hit jock with a crossbody block. It was Big Tom in the orange Syracuse sweatshirt. There was a thud, whoomp, and Jock was airborne. He landed on the roadside like a pile of wrinkled clothes. So her boyfriend swings in and punches this guy who's grabbed Catherine by the shirt. And then they just like start to run like hell. They're like, ah, we got to get away from this guy. And the whole, she she goes on, and all these quotes are from her autobiography, because she wrote kind of in depth about this, obviously. They continue to run. They keep Fearing like we're going to get stopped again, and Catherine even says like she was worried that they like killed Jock. He wasn't dead; he just got knocked <laughs> out. Um, knocked down. They end up finishing the race, and nobody stop tries to stop them again. And the press truck tra- keeps trying to follow them, and they actually kind of start harassing her through the race, but she still is able to finish i'll add this note because i think it's pretty funny her her boyfriend um big tom who you know the guy who's who punches Jack's lice out he hadn't really been training for the marathon but he was like this big jack guy who was like oh i could just do it it's no problem and and apparently like during, i like to just add this like for people that have giant egos about how they can do anything no you can't just jump into a marathon he, yeah. almost, he almost he he ends up running ahead he gets mad at her um for being so brazen. He ends up running ahead, but then he ends up falling far, far behind uh, (laughs) and they end up beating him. And I just also love that part of the story. Although that's not the main part of the story. (laughs) They, they, she ends up like, uh, most of the race it seems like is a blur to her. She talks about these various moments. She doesn't even remember going up Heartbreak Hill, like all these Mm. things that she had been looking forward to about the race. Like this guy, Jock coming in and trying to rip her numbers off, just really kind of threw him for a loop. And they turn to the final loop They get all the way up to the end. They had this like little group plan that they're going to let Arnie cross the finish line first. But then uh, he insists like he's like, no, he doesn't want that. They all cross the finish line. So after they cross the finish line, there's like, she said, there's like about a half dozen, quote, waterlogged people, none of whom clapped for us. And half of this group converged on us they, a few people like threw blankets over them um, and then they start asking them questions because they're reporters and they were really crabby because they were standing out in the freezing wet for like four hours and 20 minutes and they had to cover a girl. So that made them especially crabby that all these reporters had to like wait around to interview the girl. And they asked her all these ridiculous questions that they don't ask men like, what made you do it? She said, I like to run, the longer the better. Oh, come on, why Boston? Why wear numbers? Because women deserve to run too, equal rights and all that, you know? They ask, will you come back to run again? Yes. They will ban your club. Then we'll change the name of our club. Are you a suffragette? Huh? I thought we got the right to vote in 1920. And she said, "Quote, the questions were asked in such an aggressive way it put me off to be so suddenly challenged again after all the miles I'd worked out the anger and I was quite mellow. Plus I felt so great except for the blisters." I felt like I could have run all the way back to Hopkinton. And then a BAA official came over insisting I have the podiatrist check my feet. And when I took off my shoes, my doctor nearly fainted. My socks were blood soaked. He lanced and bandaged and lanced and taped. And when he was done, I couldn't get my shoes back on. So I pulled the socks over the bandages and I hobbled back upstairs to the finish line area where Arnie and John waited, keeping an eye out for Tom because he was Still behind, he still hadn't crossed the finish line. (laughs) Eventually he catches up with them and they did it. She had done it. And of course, you know, the the news is all over it. And this is, this is the picture you've probably seen, right, Lisa, where have this woman running the Boston Marathon and she, there's this guy grabbing at her. And I have listeners, I have this picture on the website because it's this iconic women's rights photo where she was the first woman to officially run the Boston Marathon. Isn't she absolutely epic?
1: I'm so glad that, I mean, I had no idea who you were picking and it's so perfect because like I said, the minute you started talking, I was like, oh, I think I know exactly who this is. I've never run a marathon because I also enjoy running. (laughs) I don't (laughs) think running 26 miles sounds like fun. But I, yeah, I mean, obviously I knew things about marathons. I think it's fantastic. I did not know that. I didn't know the backstory to her. And so I love that you read all those quotes.
0: I had no idea when that was and I didn't know the origin of the story, but I remember seeing the picture and I think that's. What clued me into her first? Yeah, it's a, iconic. it's a kind of a shocking picture. Oh yeah, black and white photo, and this guy is like manhandling her, trying to rip her bib number off. Yeah, um, I should also add, they actually he, she ends up becoming friends with Jock later in life. Um, like, That's or nice. actually, not even later in life. Uh, like several years later, after the marathon, she gets to know him better. She does not um, paint him out to be kind of a forever villain. You know, she just really talks about what he w- cared about was like the organization of of the run itself. The way she talks about it, I think, was that he really just wanted the race to go smoothly, and she was a blip in the race. And but that- the,
1: it was going smoothly. It He's was the one going make it was going very smoothly. He's the one that caused the blip. Let's just be super clear.
0: I know she lets him off the hook, but you know, maybe yeah. that's part of the course for women. In, it is. In that we time we do that. Like to excuse the men. Yeah. Yeah, but man, he looks so mean in that picture. Oh,
1: it's <laughs> scary. I mean, it. I, yeah, you're right. I mean, it is a scary photo.
0: Yeah, he's like standing right I'm looking at the picture right now. He's like standing behind her and you could see Arnie's trying to like defend her and he's like reaching for her shoulder and she's just running and she's just determined and Well,
1: um, and and you know, women people who women who run, you know, would that's a big fear. You know, I was always very aware of my surroundings when I was running. And so that like that is everything right there. Women who we should be able to run whenever we want to run like a man can't, meaning in the morning, yeah. at night, in dark, and we can't. And you know. so there's a lot in there, even though that's a very specific moment, there's a lot tied up in that photo for women runners, period.
0: And for women athletes in general, yes. I feel like, you know. Yes, agreed. The, fa- the fact that she wanted to just run and her university didn't even have women's teams that yes. she wanted to run I, I don't remember,
1: you might know this, when Title IX went into effect. I feel like we just hit the fiftieth. So,
0: nineteen seventy-two. Yeah, I was going to
1: say. So last year was the fiftieth of Title Nine, which makes sense. So in sixty-seven, yeah. yeah, there's no Title Nine, so there's no women's running. Yeah, there's no women's sports. Wow. Crazy. It, isn't that just astounding, though, that it wasn't that long ago?
0: It was not that long ago. Like, so that was sixty-seven. Um, here, I have like actually even like a timeline. In 67. And then after she runs this race, Lisa, actually they put into the rule book that women are not allowed to run. So part of the reason she ran is that it wasn't in the rule book and they were like, there's nothing about gender. So we're just going to do it. And then they put it in the rule book. And then it's not until... I believe 1972, so that was, what is that, five years five later, years. Yeah. when Boston officially, the Boston Marathon officially accepts women to be able to run, and that they must meet the men's qualifying time of three wow. hours and 30 minutes. Um, and that year, they have three women enter, um, including Catherine. Catherine en- enters that year. She finishes third. Um, so of the three women that enter, there's even better runners than her, right? That's – 1972 is when Boston changed the rules officially. I mean, that's – yeah, that's crazy. But first they outlawed it. So first they outlawed it, and then they changed the rules five years later. But after – like, she and a number of people kind of went on kind of the war path, for lack of a better term, to get those rules changed because they were so ridiculous. Yeah. And Catherine, she continued to run. That wasn't her only race. Um, She was the women's uh, winner of the 1974 New York City Marathon. Her time was 3.07.29. Wow. Which um, that's incredible to me. By the way, everyone, uh, you know, if listeners are curious, I hate running. Um, my mile <laughs> time is somewhere between like nine thirty and eleven minutes, depending on the day. <laughs> like, so, so running a marathon, twenty six point three miles in three hours, it's, to me it sounds like it's, insanity. It's, I, just, I know, right? It's crazy. <laughs> she would end up running her personal best at the Boston Marathon in seventy five, and her time then is two fifty one thirty seven sub three. Wow, sub three. Holy moly. Sub three. Incredible. She was named, Catherine is named female runner of the decade, 1967 to 1977 by runners world magazine. And she actually would go on to become a television commentator for marathons, starting with the 84 women's Olympics. Um, And she would end up getting an Emmy for all of her work in, in journalism. And she was a journalism major, by the way. So it's not even inappropriate that she, that she ended up there. Right. And there's a, like a little mini history where, uh, let's see, in 1978, a woman named Greta, or G-R-E-T-E, is that Greta? Yeah. Waits. Yeah. Runs her first marathon, uh, a world record in 232 in New York. Oh, wait, that's, that's not the first. I was looking for the Olympics one. I see, 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 see. Because women weren't even allowed to run in the Olympics either until, where is it in the timeline? Yeah. In 1981. The International Olympic Committee votes to add a woman's marathon to the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics. So women don't run marathons in the Olympics till 1981. That is in my life. That's just like just before my lifetime. All of this is in
1: my lifetime, but it, oh my God, Sarah, you're so young. I love you. Um, All of this is in my lifetime, except the original 67. I was born in 69. But I think that's the thing that just shocks me when, when we, and this is true of like race relations too. Like most of the stuff that we see now is baby. It's so new. And, And it's just, it blows my mind that not much before I was born, so much of this stuff wasn't allowed. Women were still, and and obviously, you know, you and I could go on and on about the patriarchy, but it, <laughs> we do. Still, Every time we hang <laughs> yeah, out. We
0: do, right? Exactly. Well, I, should, I should also mention, Lisa's like my, like women's March buddy. Like when we do right. women's March in LA, we usually go together. Yep, yep, it, yep, with yep, Charlotte okay. too, your daughter.
1: Yep, <laughs> yep. We're bringing up, you know, but even that, like Charlotte doesn't know any better, right? She's 16. And I didn't at some point, but that's, that's just, it blows my mind sometimes when I hear this history and I just, What a perfect person for you to pick for me to be on this. I love it.
0: Yeah, um, she she is very accomplished. She ran her whole life, and she she also was an advocate for obviously women's equality. She released two different books in '97. She she released a book running and walking for women over forty, and then her big thing is her memoir Marathon Woman, um, mm. which is where all of these quotes are from. Um, that book came out in 2007, which was the 40th anniversary of that first Boston run, ah. and her book would go on to win a Billy Award for journalism and its portrayal of women in sports. In 2011, she's inducted to the National Women's Hall. Of fame for specifically for this Boston Marathon event, being the first woman in 2015, she launches a global nonprofit called 261 Fearless. Remember, 261 was the number on her bib. Oh yeah! And they have like a running training club system and all these events uh, and an ambassador program. the The mission of the nonprofit is to use running as a means to empower women and overcome life obstacles and embrace healthy living. In 2017, she's still alive, by the way, she's still with us. Um, In 2017, she ran the Boston Marathon for the ninth time, um, which was the 50th anniversary of that first time. And they assigned her the same bib number 261 that she had in, in 67. And she was placed right in the first wave in Corral 1 and she finished in 444. But this time when she ran, she wasn't alone. Over 13,700 women, over half of the runners in the Boston Marathon in 2017 were women. I love that. Was that her last
1: marathon, last Boston? Because I love that she finished in 444. That's an angel number. So I love that. Is it
0: really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. (laughs) I don't have in my notes that she ran another one because she is at this point getting a little bit older. Right. And 444 is a longer time, obviously, than her best. Right. But that same year that she ran that marathon, the Boston Athletic Association announced that it will not assign number 261 to any future runners. So that is like her number in perpetuity.
1: They retired it. I love it. Yeah,
0: they basically retired that number for her. And in an interview with The Nation in 2013, Catherine talked about what it's like now when she goes to the Boston Marathon, because she still goes every year, even if she doesn't run it, I believe. Um, She said, when I go to the Boston Marathon now, I have wet shoulders. Women fall into my arms crying. They're weeping for joy because running has changed their lives. They feel they can do anything. And that gave
1: me chills. I mean, that's the thing. When I was, I, I have stopped
0: running just because
1: I ran for years and my body don't no longer appreciates it. But I loved running, and it was it just always felt so empowering. And so I love this story so much because clearly running empowered her to go on and change the running world, which is fantastic. Yeah, Katherine Switzer, what a broad! She is a definite broad. I love it.
0: Well, thank you, Lisa, for for being here today. And listeners, if you haven't heard um, last week's episode with Lisa, um, you should check that out too. And also you should check out Lisa's podcast, The Things We Know. It's fantastic. They talk about all things women. And what women have to deal with day to day today in, in our everyday lives. And so you should check that out if you're interested. Um, if you like Lisa's voice and you want to hear more from her and her creative partner, Carrie, they're both fantastic. And they're both friends of mine, too. So, you know, okay. <laughs> I'm, I might be biased, but I think Lisa's pretty great. So, Aww, thanks. I think you're pretty great. Thanks for being here, Lisa. I yep, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It. To learn more about Catherine Switzer, see that very famous photo we talked about today and others, head on over to broadsyoushouldknow.com. While you're there, click on over to the about page to read more about me and Lisa Callahan. Our bios, photos, links to our cool stuff, all right there. Are you following Broads You Should Know on social yet? We're on Facebook and Instagram at Broads you Should Know and Twitter at BYSK Podcast. To suggest abroad, fill out the form on our website or email us at you should know at gmail.com. If you are a fan of this podcast, help spread the word about us. Share your favorite episode with your friends and family or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps new listeners to find us. Broad's You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Sky with original music by Darren Callahan. Finally, if you really enjoyed this episode about Catherine Switzer, then you should check out some of our other athletic broads. We've got Billie Jean King, Wilma Rudolph, Vera Chuslavska, and the 2021 Olympics broads. See you next week for another broad you should know.